Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQ just drop shot? I could have been. I, I have plans. I like this All shit. It is a you know it's Dance off, bro. It is your Me destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this is episode 19 where we're going to be discussing our top 10 films of 2016. Before we do that, I want to check in with my co-host, see if he had a good holiday. Lee, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. Uh, happy 2017. We made it. We survived. <laughs> we did survive 2016. So happy 2017. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. We're already, already, already blanked it out. It's over. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. We've moved on. It's like we, we know we're trying to be nice to you guys. We wish you Happy New Year, but you're 12 days in already back to work, disgruntled and just wishing for the next holiday. So <laughs> we're in the same boat as you guys. So anything to report, sir? How was your holiday season? What would you guys do? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, we we spent Christmas with the family. We uh, we went to London for a couple of days. Went to see Moana a second time in London. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then we had a, a a New Year's party. It was just a great time. It was great to just unwind a little after we rushed like three episodes in a row out to sort of make sure everybody was well covered for Christmas. And then we said, yeah, well, we're gonna relax for a bit, watch the films at our own leisure. Not really worry too much about what's going to happen for the next episode. And so that's where we are now. But that doesn't mean we haven't been working. But working hard at being unoriginal. We're going to be doing our top 10 list just like everybody else. <laughs> uh, while everybody's getting ready. I know that Maddie is getting ready to... Uh, to uh, He just covered the Golden Globes. He's going to be doing the SAG Awards. Everyone's gearing up for the Oscars as well. I think that uh, uh, In Session are going to be doing their Oscar predictions as well on their yeah. next episode. I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say about that. Definitely. Yeah, so that's it. I mean, we're just waltzing into 2017 and uh, we're, we're expecting some fun things. I had a fun Christmas as well. I got to build the Millennium Falcon with my daughter. Great. She really, really enjoyed you that. Show, you show me pictures. It looks amazing. Those children are spoiled. <laughs> oh, I mean, this year, yeah, it was it was kind of cool. Uh, I noticed like when I was looking under my underneath my Christmas tree, it was rather, I'll say, sparse. They were big <laughs> gifts, but there were only a few. Usually, my girlfriend and I, we really try to outdo ourselves every year, but at the same time, I just realized that like when I was looking at the toys that they got you know, last year, they don't even touch them anymore so i was like well fuck that you know i'll try to get them something that's going to be interesting not only for them but at least it'll give me time to spend with them yeah yeah absolutely that makes perfect sense. so that's it it was cool for the millennium falcon we we, we spent six hours building that thing wow. it was great and i helped my other daughter as well she got um uh what do they call them the shopkins she really enjoys those things but they happened to come with a lego kit as well so i got to spend time with her building oh, really? that stuff as well so yeah it was really really cool then we took the millennium falcon and attacked the shit out of the shopkins <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend and i uh, actually we were looking for something to do just ourselves together on christmas day because it, it was the, it was a really fun christmas for me because i had chosen not to travel to see my parents because I, I was exhausted from the semester that i had just finished she eventually said to me you know what let's just stay here and let's find ourselves a, a something to do and i said well what do you suggest and she took about a couple of minutes to think about it and she wanted to surprise me with something and she said to me i have an idea for a game we should go out and buy ourselves a lego set and build it together amazing and i was like that's awesome 
let's do that. And so we did. We literally went out for a Lego set. And I says, well, what do you want to get? And she looked at me and she says, well, the only way I'm going to get you to do something that you're going to be invested in is to get a Star Wars Lego set. And I said, fuck this. Are you kidding me? And she's like, no. She says, I thought we could get the Luke versus Darth Vader and the Emperor on on the Death Star. And I got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. (laughs) (laughs) No, so we did that. I I actually put a video on Twitter showing us uh, building the thing. It's like a 45 second time lapse. I've seen that. Yes, the time lapse. It looked great. Yeah, so we had a great time. We did that on on the 25th. Yeah, in the afternoon, we we actually built our Lego together. And that was really, really fun. That sounds great. So yeah, yeah, I'm feeling all relaxed and ready to attack this new 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 year yeah and attack it we shall because we've got a uh, middling to big plans for this year <laughs> so first obviously we're going to look at the uh the podcast itself atlantic screen connection we're kind of thinking about how to sort of make it more in line with how we like to look at our content and how we're going to like to proceed with just generally the structure of the show we've already been made, making minor changes along the lines when we took out trailers and stuff like that so in the future we're going to be looking into breaking the episodes into season after our next episode which is going to be our wrap-up to the retrospective with paul thomas anderson it's going to be on inherent vice we're going to say that's going to be the end of season one then we're going to take very a very good. small break and on february 1st we'll be right back with split by M. Night Shyamalan and a whole new season of Atlantic Screen Connection episodes that are going to lead us probably down into about halfway through the year and we're going to say that's going to be season two and we're going to do that rather than the typical episode one over the other till 4,000 episodes structure <laughs> keeping a tally it seems intense at one point you're like at episode 235 or 604 or something like that it seemed a little bit overwhelming for most of the listeners that are coming in that that want to get a feel for what atlantic screen connection actually is yeah and so we decided to kind of bring it down to a more manageable number for the listeners so that they don't feel overwhelmed should i watch like should i listen to all the episodes first where do i come in what do i want to listen to and plus breaking it down into seasons for us it would actually give us a little bit more leeway into choosing specific themes we want to attack. Definitely, definitely. You know, depending on what new releases are coming out, they might give us ideas for specific themes we want to look at. So we're going to be looking at perhaps maybe pairing movies together, looking at new releases and try to attack it from specific perspectives. Not that we're going to always just delve into that specific theme, but it, it is something that is going to tie the seasons together a little bit more and give us a little bit more of a direction for where we want to head. Definitely, definitely. And uh, as regards to our websites uh, big picture reviews and film faculty we're thinking that hopefully by at least halfway through the year we'll have made a real stride to kind of making something more connected somewhere that you can unite to you know actually look for the show because at the moment we're kind of we're broken up a little you can go to our twitters you can go to our soundcloud or our itunes there's a lot of stray threads but what we thought was we could unite all these under one banner call that the atlantic screen connection and that can also apply to our websites big picture reviews film faculty we can then maybe mess around we can change up little formats here and there regarding the way we do our reviews or focus ourselves we can really cater to particular assets on each side of each other's websites and really make the whole experience something more cohesive and i think that's something we want we're looking we're looking to build upon in 2017 we're really looking to tie everything together and really make this an official partnership because it's the atlantic screen connection we've been doing it for a while now it's a connection we should we should connect (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's going to be not only easier for for the listeners out there but for us right 
Absolutely. I mean, and Lee came up with this idea, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. You know, and it goes with the respective ways we write uh, our reviews, or as Lee likes to say, my essays and his reviews. And <laughs> I could actually contribute to big picture reviews when I have smaller reviews to write, and he could actually contribute to film faculty when he has larger essays to write. And we'd actually keep those separate so that whoever wants to go to the specific sites, if you're looking for something quick, something that you can actually go for, something that's a little bit more current, then you'd head over to big picture reviews because that's it. Lee delves into the big picture, right? He tries to see as many movies as he can and gives you something that you guys are are looking for immediately right there, something that's current, something that's in cinemas. Whereas when you go to film faculty, you're like, what the fuck is Jason talking about this week? (laughs) You're looking to learn something. You're looking to actually look at films under a magnifying glass and really, you know, explore the particulars of the films. That's what Jason does well on his essays. And I think that makes film faculty, that's its strength there. So, I mean, we've already got such a neat setup without even setting anything up. It kind of just, it all falls together for me. And I think that it's, it's something that we can absolutely focus on trying to make everything just a little more tighter. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, we're still planning this out. We're, we're, we're basically uh, after like, well, there's been a couple of meetings now that we've had and we're just trying to guys, mm-hmm. fill you guys in so that you guys can go through this process with us. If you guys have any ideas to suggest or something like that, feel free to share it with us on Twitter or email us, find our emails on our websites. You can find us on Facebook as well under Film Faculty and Big Pick Reviews or even Jason Michael and Lee Brady. You guys can hit us up there. But uh, yeah, if you have any ideas, things that you'd like us to cover or any ideas that you guys would like to see on the show, um, yeah, that'd be great. And that, that's it. It's just to bring all this together because it is, like Lee said, the connection. And the connection is not just between us. It's with you guys too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this this uh, adventure. Super excited. Super excited to the, into the partnership. Maybe even, like I said, delving into the season two, which with M. Night Shyamalan, what a way to start. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> <Perfect>. crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also on top of that, regarding sort of minor changes as well, not only are we going to be focusing on bringing you more guests to yeah, yeah, yeah. join in in our discussions uh, from the community and other outside even the, the Twitter community we've built ourselves upon we're also going to be doing small things like cross promotions to uh, to you know blogs we recommend yeah. and other shows you know i think that's something that we kind of have to embrace because ult- ultimately we do talk a lot about other shows and putting somewhere on our show so that they can get a chance to argue for themselves saves us the hassle <laughs> yeah and i mean these are shows that we look up to these are people that that we we uh, grown to love we have fun with and stuff like that so we definitely have gotten their support and then by putting in their promos we're showing our support to them as well and our thanks if, for accepting us into their wonderful little family you know it's our way of saying thank you guys uh, but also thank you guys to the listeners for actually giving us the motivation to continue and move on to try to improve ourselves to give you guys better content uh, so uh, that's it I think in the new year the first thing that I want to do is say thank you to you guys because you guys have been amazing so far Definitely. the reception has been super cool people have actually started commenting on the tracks so uh, yeah so we're going to move on Thanks for putting up with our little house cleaning session. Yes. So our, our next segment is going to be the worst films of the year. It's something that's a list I'm going to do myself. It's 10. Uh, Jason's got one little one to add yep, in there. A disappointment. A disappointment. Not a not a worst film, just a disappointment. But to preface that, we've got some promos for you. Just to, just to make good at our word, an early start. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys. <laughs> Thanks again. We'll be back after this. Thanks. I'm Mark. I'm Stephen. And I'm Rob. 
If you love Star Wars and you listen to podcasts, then you should check out our show, Talk Star Wars. You can subscribe to Talk Star Wars on iTunes and find us on Stitcher Radio and find full episodes of the podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find the podcast and everything else we do at talkstarwars.co.uk and you can play with us on Twitter by following at Talk Star Wars. You should also head to facebook.com slash talkstarwars and like our Facebook page. Or we will strike you down with all of our hatred and your journey towards that dark side will be complete. That's not cool. I've said it now. Head to talkstarwars.co.uk and join us as we talk Star Wars. Or else. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutia shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And I wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the credits. sent to get you for a reason. There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom. Like, we're important. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Help us! We're in here! Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. He listens to me. My name's Hedwig. How old are you? Nine. I've never seen a case like this before. 23 identities live in Kevin's body. Who are you? Help me get out of here, Hedwig. You trying to trick me? I'll tell on you. Aren't you the clever one? An individual with multiple personalities can change their body chemistry with their thoughts. Someone's coming for you. Who's coming? The beast. There's a man here. He abducted us and he's going to kill me. We're meant for something. Something horrible. The world will understand now. The beast is real.
people and he'll do awful things to you. All right, so welcome back. We hope that M. Night Shyamalan scared the shit out of you. I'm Hedwig. <laughs> I'm nine. <laughs> really looking forward to that uh, film. It's going to be fun. I'm pretty sure it's going to be fun. Uh, well, fingers crossed again. But anyway, so the way that we're going to structure for the rest of this is where uh, Lee has actually made up a list of things he didn't like this year. Uh, I haven't because uh, I thought it was going to be a waste of time, but apparently Lee has time on his hands. So <laughs> <laughs> I've seen more films, so I... I don't want to go throughout the year and pretend that these 10 films didn't films. happen. Uh, yeah, I know. That's what okay. I mean. Of 2016. Okay, cool. And 10 of them, at least, were bad. <laughs> All right. So we'll we'll do that. We'll do our negative spot first. And then after that, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, have a little promo for In Session Film. And then after that, we're going to head into our honorable mentions of 2016 on a positive note. And we're going to work our way up from 10 to 1. So let's get into it. Nitty gritty. Lee. Yeah. So I'll do I'll so I'll do my I'll do my top ten, then Jason's gonna do his his one that he didn't like or did uh, was disappointed in. Okay, so here are my bottom ten films of twenty sixteen. So at number ten, Independence Day Resurgence Two, whatever. Uh was an awful dull movie <laughs> that that was way too long and the most Emmerichian Emmerich film of all that I've seen. I've seen a load of his films now and it, it was all the worst tropes mixed together. The, the only fun I had out of it, I went to see it with my brother and we made jokes over the top of it at an empty theater. Uh, so that was, you know, I have positive memories of this terrible film, but it wasn't the film's fault. It wasn't the film that was responsible for that at all. At number nine, uh, Gods of Egypt. <laughs> People are really, like, they're saying that it's one of the funniest bad films of the year. I disagree. It is so coldly cynical, such a attempt to be f- even funny bad that uh, it, it rubbed me up entirely the wrong way. I, I, like, I, I left cold. I was disappointed even on the level where I knew it was going to be terrible. So... Uh, how could you mess that up? <laughs> to, be fair, to be fair, I mean, the trailers look horrible. Poor Alex Proyas. I mean, even that tirade on Facebook didn't make him look too good either. <laughs> uh, at number eight, The Girl on the Train. Now, I haven't read the books, so I don't know. I don't really care with anyway. It doesn't really matter regarding the opinion of the film. This is like a weird missed opportunity of a film. Uh, it had the opportunity to take a kind of, to mix a murder mystery kind of narrative with a real insight into abuse in relationships, especially towards women. And it really had a lot of the best threads there going. But how they undermine that through the final reveal of the villain is so unbelievably stupid and and, and, and misguided that it, it basically, to summarize, it makes men the ultimate problem for everything a woman does wrong, which I that we're even that's even a discussion that that that's even a thread in somebody's mind is incredible that you know that that we even are looking at who gets all the blame that's just it's baffling to me it was a terrible movie um at number seven is batman v superman dawn of justice now i really really didn't like this film it was like posturing i hate posturing i hate we were just as asking rhetorical questions for the entire dialogue And then it's edited, slapped up, dash, and the story didn't go anywhere. At the same time, I did, you know, I don't hate it. I kind of enjoy it for how bad it is. I think people can learn a lot right. from it. And, you know, I, I don't think it's it's an entire loss, but I really didn't. I can't see myself sitting through it again anytime soon because I, it was such a long, bitter experience, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll agree with you on Batman versus Superman. I just want to cut in there because... 
I mean, I watched the extended cut, and it does add a lot of, of elements that help the Superman story. Yeah. But it doesn't salvage the film in any way. Although I did enjoy the extended edition, I have to concede that were critics harsh on it? Perhaps, I guess. I mean, it, it was overly maligned for no reason. Yeah, like like everything that people perceive as bad, people then yeah. take it too far and, and make it yeah. look like it, it, it it's the root cause of all evil, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, if I'm looking at it, you know, from from how I like to see it, I, I Zack Snyder has proven to me that he's an excellent photographer, but mm. not necessarily a good filmmaker. Yeah. And I think Batman versus Superman, even if we call it studio meddling, even if we call it, you know, whatever it is, this, the only reason why people have come to enjoy Batman versus Superman is not necessarily because of the film, but because the characters are characters that they enjoy seeing. That's exactly why I like that film. I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I think Ben Affleck was a very capable Batman. Gal Gadot was a perfect Wonder Woman, even if her dialogue came off as a little bit weird and her acting is a little bit sketchy at points. When you see her in action, she embodies exactly the Wonder Woman I want to see. So mm-hmm. if I'm looking at it from a, a an aesthetic standpoint you know looking at how well it is crafted as a film it's really shitty if i'm looking at how (laughs) the people that are in that shitty movie are they are great yeah it it proved to me that Zack snyder hadn't learned anything from man of steel he had had evolved it he had added more characters and again you're totally right i love seeing these characters i think these are good iterations or like actors playing these characters i think these are what i want these characters to look like yeah. I, I I appreciate what they bring to the rules. I just wish they had something to work with. Yeah. But anyway, we gotta we'll move on. <laughs> We've got a whole whole other films to talk about. Uh, at number six, The Infiltrator. I uh, this is a film a lot of people <laughs> okay, yeah. were okay with or or enjoyed to some degree. I don't get it at all. I thought it was a a confused, terribly directed, horribly edited, poorly like thought out film. That basically doesn't say anything about anything, and other than a, a decent performance by Brian Cranston reprising his role as Walter White, basically, uh, uh, it, it's one of the worst married couples I've seen in a film. It's one of the worst side characters in his mission, and and the actual infiltration part of the story is confusing and dull and constantly at war with everything else it's trying to say. I thought it was a terrible film i would hate to have to watch it again it's brian cranston uh, yeah that's it people just give him a bible I, I, he's fine in it i've seen bits and parts of the infiltrator and i was like fuck this i'm not watching that the yeah, rest of yeah. it I, I, it was a it was a rental that i didn't even bother finishing and then then uh, i when i see him again in trumbo when when it's more of a caricature of of, of who trumbo was i'm like jesus fucking christ man you Stop overacting. I have a feeling yeah. that he's Al Pacinoing himself, and I don't want I that to that. happen. I get that. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't think that's unfair. I think uh, because he's so well known for Breaking Bad, people are casting him yeah. and directing him to be like giving him free reign, like he had a little in Breaking Bad to basically direct himself, and therefore he's kind of going into what he knows he's good at, where yeah. people should be pushing him a little more. Uh, Infiltrator is exactly the film to prove that he needs some other people working with him because it was it, it ran for itself for an hour and a half and it was I, yeah. I and we've seen terribly him bored. I mean look at look at he's able to do comedy. Look at him and Malcolm in the middle. Yeah, I know and he's that's the thing. He has such it. range. Like uh, Exactly he needs to he needs the opportunity to use it, definitely. Anyway, number five hologram for the king the tom hanks movie right tom hanks in the desert movie yeah i'm gonna tell you exactly why this is is a terrible film basically its resolve is white man 
finally finds peace with black woman. That's that's it. The uh, finding the other in the other race, that, sure. that bringing your peace. It is a fucking atrocious message. Uh, wow. It's really like uh, that's how it ends. That's how it builds up to somehow. The story is real scatterbrained. It definitely felt adapted from a novel, and maybe the novel goes into it a little better. I doubt it though. The story itself just seemed to have fingers in all the wrong pies for me. I just I, I didn't enjoy it at all, and I was really hoping it starts out pretty well, and I was really hoping it was going to go somewhere, and it really, really, really goes the opposite direction. It's a terrible movie. Wow. Uh, number four again, Tom Hanks is Inverno. Jesus! <laughs> Alright, I've talked about this on um, right. Next next Best Picture, so I'm not going to harp on about it. I think I even talked about it on this fucking show. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, um, it's a terrible movie. Uh, it, it, it resolves when a bunch of people fight over a plastic bag. <laughs> it's a, a miserable filming experience. It's a film that's very badly written, uh, and I recommend it for no one. Number three, Batman the Killing Joke. Batman makes two, two times on the list. And that's a weird thing because I've seen four Batman films this year. Somehow, you're talking about um, superhero fatigue. Batman has his own fatigue. <laughs> uh, killing Joke's an overrated story in my opinion. Anyway, I don't care what people are talking about it. They're like, oh, it's a classic. Even in yeah. the comic book, the graphic novel. I don't need a Joker origin story. And that one's lame. Uh, I, Alan Moore is a great writer when he feels like it. But he's also a fucking creepy guy. <laughs> You're losing, like, sympathetic listeners by the second. <laughs> I, c- I can admit Watchmen is, is a carefully crafted masterpiece. Yeah. And that's not a problem to me. But The Killing Joke, no matter how much people try to lump onto it and like, oh, it's this carefully crafted. No, it is not. It reads fast. It seems <laughs> convoluted. It's cliched as well. I don't know how he managed to pour everything that was not to do with that character into one book. It was yeah. weird. I've never read the book, so I actually wa- I, I gained all this from watching the film. And as a narrative, this film, as taken on its own, is terrible. It is definitely two separate films, and both of them are not good. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I liked what they did with the Joker to an extent, but I hate there's this middle segment where just shit happens for no reason. It's unnecessarily cruel, but it doesn't have anything to say about that. It just, it's about, it's a Batman film for Batman fans, which... Doesn't make sense because the one Batman film that I I didn't even include in my honorable mentions, but that came out for Batman fans and was great, was the Return of the Cape Crusaders, right, the, the, the stand-up of the yeah. 60s show, is fucking incredible. Watch yeah. that. Don't watch this fucking inane nonsense. Uh, right, number two, the Magnificent Seven. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> a lot of like, a lot of people, a lot of people seemed like upset when I said I really didn't like this film. <laughs> I have no idea why. It is actually awful. Like it's ter- like it's bizarrely accidentally racist. Uh, it's patronizing. It's cynical. It's droll. You know, like it's actually like a bunch of cliches and a bunch of terrible one-liners written into a film that doesn't actually support them. It doesn't know tonally what it wants to be. It has a few good shots and a bunch of scatterbrain, quick-cut action that's basically unfollowable. Some spectacle that we basically don't get to see. Ah, it's a terrible film. I don't know what. And I this is this is coming from someone who's never even seen the original Magnificent Seven. I've seen Seven Samurai, but I've never seen Magnificent Seven. So I don't have. It's a, I don't it's have. It's a good movie. Nothing special. People consider it a classic because it's a western that came out you sure. know, in the sixties. And but at the same time, it's a bunch of people that they like to see. Yul Brynner's in it. Steve McQueen's in it. You know, yeah, it, it, it's the big. Like, it, it's, it's the big it's, names that bring you there, and that's kind exactly. of what. 
that's kind of what they were trying to do with this one, I think. But, like, I don't know, man. I, I, Vincent D'Onofrio is the only thing I liked about this film because at least he knew the film was terrible. And that's why he gave, like, a, <laughs> an awful performance. Like, everybody else tried to do something and he just knew, like, no, 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 this is a paycheck. <laughs> All right, cool. But I don't know. I had no intention of seeing that movie. I saw the trailer. I saw Chris Pratt as a cowboy. I was like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> this is the thing, like, for the year you said that you don't see Chris Pratt in any role. You just don't get it other than Chris Pratt. This is the first time I absolutely 100% agree with you. He was not the role he was cast as. He was Chris Pratt. And I, there's no way you can convince me otherwise. Yeah. It just They tried to make him a cool, edgy cowboy guy. He just wasn't that character. He was just yeah. Chris Pratt. They didn't exactly. know what to do with him. They miscast him terribly. I, I like him as Star-Lord. Because I feel like he doesn't have to play that, a part. That, That's yeah. just him. Yeah, that's perfect for right? him. Definitely. But I mean, he was terrible in Jurassic World. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Number one, the Angry Birds movie. Okay. Look, I, nobody expected... How fitting. Nobody expected this to be good. But that doesn't mean it had any right to be as fucking terrible as it was. It is one of the most cynical movies. I've, it actually rewards cynicism in its narrative. It, it rewards a guy who is outright an asshole to every other character... And the film praises him for being so, as if it's okay, and in fact makes a <laughs> makes a makes a role model out of him. And, and, but and, like, just like if only we were all like this asshole, we'd all get along. That's not even subversive in the way that you would hope it would be. It's actually just poor. It's <laughs> it's not even well really well rationalized. It's just he's right. an asshole, and everybody accepts it as charming. Yeah. Uh, the fact that kids are going to be watching this is what makes this number one. This did way better than it ever should have at the box office, uh, which has nothing to do with the criticism. I just, again, I fear just for the fact that it's done well and people have seen this, it's all the more terrifying to me because this is a heart-wrenchingly cruel film that seems to make a great, a resounding applause for someone who doesn't deserve it. And everybody in it give it no thought whatsoever and just put it out there as one of those Films for kids because they'll watch any shit. And that's the worst kind of thing you could possibly do. Because kids' films, they're nearly the most important films that you can make. They inf influence people who are at their most easy to influence. They are the ones that are going to make the actual impact. And Angry Birds movie is the film that you cannot let your kids see. To me, that's my number one worst thing I've seen this year. I'll confess to having my... My, my kids have seen it. I did not take them to the movie theater to see sure. it. And I didn't pay for them to watch it. Okay. But I can say this, though. They've watched it once. And they were like, well, it was okay. Whatever. Good. That's it. You know, and so they've moved on. <laughs> right? They're making the emoji movie now. Yeah. Like, this is, this is, these are the good ideas these people are coming up with. It's very frustrating. I right? know. I know exactly. So yeah, 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 you can you can you can feel my my ang anguish at this. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. So that's your top ten of the worst movies of this year. That's me. Uh, I don't have a top ten list of the worst movies I've seen this year. I do have one disappointment. Sure. And my disappointment, uh, like I said, this is a disappointment. It is by no means a bad movie. I am not saying that. So if you're going to quote me, whoever the fuck you are, and I don't think this is going to happen anyway, this is a disappointment. It is not a I bad I have a feeling film. I know what you're going to say, but I'm looking and forward to my it. My disappointment is Captain America Civil War. I knew it. Yes. <laughs> I agree. My disappointment with Captain America Civil War is that it wants to be an important film. And it fails. And the reason for me it fails is that it's, it's, it's immediately comparable to Batman versus Superman. Everyone comparing this DC Marvel shit, it's, it's really gotten to me over the past year 
to the point where I'm kind of sick of the discussion. You know, I, I even just yesterday where I was talking about civil war with a guy on, on Twitter, uh, because I, I, I enjoyed X-Men Apocalypse this year because it had no intent, it, it, all the best intentions of being good. It didn't know it was bad. And I applaud it for that <laughs> because I can watch that movie and say, Absolutely like, you know what? Agree. They made this movie as best as they thought it could. It doesn't matter if they fucked themselves. I think this is a really interesting reset for the X-Men universe. I like the characters and that's fine. Captain America Civil War was filled with so much self-purpose. Mm-hmm. That to me, it crushed itself under the weight of its own narrative. And it even goes to the point where you're like, you guys have almost the exact same themes as Batman versus Superman. How did this even happen? You know, I remember in the 90s, they were putting out these movies like Mission to Mars and the Red Planet. And you'd have these studios warring to see kind of a space race type of thing where they were trying to put out the exact same movie, but trying to one-up themselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of weird that we've we've kind of boiled down to that again in 2016, where you have, you know, Captain America Civil War and uh, Batman versus Superman kind of going about it. But if from different perspectives. Well, if, if you think about it in the 2000s where Pixar and DreamWorks were doing very much the same thing and there Disney Animated Studios. I mean, it has never really went away, but it keeps finding a way to come back into our discussion somehow. Right. And I thought that, you know, just the overwhelming, bringing the parents into it was another thing that I was like, come on, Jesus, can't we get over this? You know, come on, let, let's grow up. Let's try not to be kids anymore. Yes, our parents have influences on our lives, but I mean, don't we also have an influence on our lives? That last line with Tony started like, he killed my mom. I was like, oh, come on. this is It fell apart for me right there, the Winter yeah. Soldier being a MacGuffin as well. Because the more like I saying, think about it... I don't, need, I don't need an actual reason to yeah, be angry. You know, exactly, that's the yeah. screenwriter's He's bowing out and saying, yeah, he can be angry because he has a mother. Yeah, and, and, like to me... And I know that people are getting angry right now, and it doesn't matter. I can feel the heat, and I can take it. <laughs> what I would have really liked to see, and I mentioned this on Twitter again, I think that if if we had given the Russos the green light for the movie they wanted to make, it would have been a, a My Dinner with Andre style conversation between Cap and Iron Man, sitting at a table, discussing. <laughs> and that, to me, would have made a great fucking movie. Just when a you're like, weird, okay, a weird movie. <laughs> exactly. But it would have been ideologies clashing and just not so much hitting for no reason. Mm -hmm. There had no reason to fight. It was like, well, we're, we're, we're superheroes, so we might as well fight about it. You're like, no, you don't need to. You don't need to fight. There's no reason to fight yeah. at all. It's, it's two different <laughs> films, definitely, you know, mashed into an uncomfortable pulp. Diana, we, we did talk about it in our episode. We weren't particularly positive on the at the time either. We, we, we did spend more time harping on about the negatives, and the positives were pretty much nothing to do with the actual film as a linear whole. They yeah. were just things that we'd like to see in films in general, and not so much what this oh, yeah. film achieved personally, you know. But that, that's in why its, it's own just a disappointment. Ambition. Yeah, this exactly. This is by no means a bad film, it's a carefully crafted film. It's yeah. got wonderful themes, and I'll echo what JD from In Session said. He he says that the main theme and the main character actually is a character that's not even on screen, and it's guilt. And I I applaud that interpretation of it because I think that's actually spot on. It's beautiful, yeah. and Great. guilt goes along with my prison imagery that I had put out forth on the episode mm -hmm. five as well. You know, guilt becomes a prison. It's something that it's inescapable, and that's great. And I think the Russos did a fine job at doing that. It's just that the story is just so 
it's too dense. They wanted to do yeah, too, much. Yeah, too much. And I think that, you know, the studios, they're like, well, we have, this is another setup movie. We're setting up, we're setting up, we're setting up. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, exactly. when do you stop setting up and you actually make the movie? All right. So anyway, that closes out our segment on the, uh, the, the bad movies of 2016 with, with the, the one d- disappointment I have. I want to reiterate that just in case someone goes, loses mind. It's not a bad film at all. It's definitely not a bad film. It's just that it could have been it could have been another Winter Soldier, in my opinion. And I yeah. think that's what the Russos set out to make. But they were told, no, there's more to do. There's more to yeah, do. Yeah, I agree. So, definitely. Anyway, so let's move on to some some more positive stuff, but not before a little message for some guys we respect. Stay tuned. Hello, cinephiles. This here is Matt Neglia, part of nextbestpicture.com, and I have one question to ask you. Do you feel like Leonardo DiCaprio really deserved it for The Revenant last year? Do you think somebody else should have won Best Actor? Well, on our podcast called The Next Best Picture Podcast, myself, Will, Michael, and Kristen discuss that and more as we are always looking for the best in film today and what will ultimately win the Best Picture Oscar. Join us as we review films, talk about the latest news in the awards race, as well as the film industry itself. Thank you very much for your consideration. Hey, see what I did there? Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. Welcome back. And now we move on to our positives. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to give you guys our honorable mentions for 2016 and also then work our way up from 10 to 1 on the top 10 lists that we have. And I want to make sure that you guys understand one thing. My top 10 films, Jason's top 10 films of 2016 may not be the best films. I refuse to use that word. They're not the best film. They're ones that got me excited the most because they gave me things to think about because thinking is something I like to do. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of these I've given actual grades to on the website, uh, Big Picture Reviews, and uh, they're not going to match up at all. You'll see A minuses or even maybe a B plus. I have no idea. You know, I, I can look at the scores a little more objectively, but these are my subjective. The films that I fought at the end of the year. God, I'm glad I've seen that, you know. Uh, the films that I, you know, I, I, I fought the most about or I feel like I gained the most from personally. Not necessarily. And they're all good films. I'm not going to pretend at all that any of these are not even, you know, objectively good films. They all are. That's clear and, and reasonable. But also to me, they mean more than even some of the films that I would have maybe scored higher on the website. Right, yeah, yeah. Cool, all right. So what do I'll kick off my honorable mentions. Sure. I'll get that out of the way. So my honorable mentions for this year are uh, X-Men Apocalypse. I've talked about it. It's one of the movies that I had the most fun watching because 
It was, um, I wouldn't call it a so bad it's good movie, but it was definitely a feel good movie for me. There was a lot yeah. of stuff going on in the film that I, I appreciated. I like the characters. I mean, uh, Ty Sheridan as, as Cyclops, I thought they nailed him. They turned him into a bad boy. Fine. I like the fact that they did that. Did they need mm-hmm. Wolverine in the movie? Nope. Did uh, the Jean Ray uh, setting her up for another Phoenix saga? Perhaps they'll get it right this time. I like Nightcrawler, whatever the fuck that guy's name is. He was great. <laughs> it was great. Um, there was a wonderful scene with Michael Fassbender mourning over his family. That sequence where he kills everyone with the necklace was absolutely wonderful. That's beautiful filmmaking. You have those throughout the movie, those little snippets of genius. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it, sadly, it does fall apart under a crushing whirlwind of, of Magneto just standing in the midair, contemplating, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck, in a mess of rubble. Where you're like, wow, why did they just do that to Magneto? Why is he destroying the planet again? And of, of course, the ending where it's just like, well, listen, Eric, you killed 150,000 people, but, you know, I'll let that like, one slide Another again. slap on the wrist for Magneto. <laughs> exactly. Mass murderer supreme. <laughs> we know the intention was good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean... If I look past all that, I really had a good time. I mean, it's one movie that I like looking, uh, watching uh, now and again, just because I I appreciated what they were trying to do with the movie. Uh, Were there a lot of wasted opportunities? Yeah, the whole fucking movie is a wasted opportunity. (laughs) But I, I can't say that I didn't have a good time. Yeah, some other um, honorable mentions for me would be uh, War Dogs. Yes. I-, I liked War Dogs. I had a lot of fun watching that. Is it one of the best movies of the year? No. Nope. It's it's definitely one of Jonah Hill's best performances. Uh, he plays a guy called Ephraim. And Miles Teller is actually pretty good in it, too. Not a big fan of his because I didn't like Whiplash. <laughs> it's one that fell below the radar. I thought it was funny. I sat there with my girlfriend. We thought it was really interesting yeah it's based on a true story which is even weirder to me how these two guys in their in their 20s had decided to become arms dealers sure i mean how do you how does that even cross your mind it's like i say hey lee we're moving to africa to deal arms you'd say to me, you'd be <laughs> like what the fuck are you talking about I'd, I'd say it's a great gig it worked in war, war dogs <laughs> it worked in war dogs for sure well, so, to yeah. be fair i i, I never seen it but i we had a writer at the time on big picture reviews called alex who who is one of his only standing reviews on the site and he seemed to really like it and that's that's the only uh, impression I ever got from it. It wasn't really talked about a lot. So it is, it's surprising yeah. to hear it on an honorable mention. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, it's one of those movies that you w- you'll put on to be entertained. Sure. Right? You're not going to get anything from... This won't be remembered in cinema history or anything like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. You know, it's not something that plays well next to a Kubrick film, you know. But it does its job well. It's a very entertaining movie. And I recommend it. I mean, if you guys have nothing to watch on a Friday night and you're looking for something that's funny, War Dogs might just be the movie for you. Another one would be a documentary called The Art of Organized Noise. And for those of you who don't know Organized Noise, uh, whenever you're listening to Hip Hop, The Dirty South, The Dungeon Family, that's all with regards to Organized Noise. Guys like Rico Wade, Ray Murray, and Sleepy Brown. And it's essentially their story of how most of the people they produced, essentially, are guys like Outkast, L.A. Reid, Diddy. Uh, you'll have uh, Goody Mob, uh, guys like CeeLo Green that was in Goody Mob, mm. Big Gip, Timo, and Cujo. And obviously an uh, Outkast, Andre 3000, and Big Boy. All their first records were all produced by these guys, Organized Noise. And it's essentially a rise and fall story uh, for them to essentially get respect because Organized Noise... They, they transferred onto a bigger label and they were responsible for TLC's Waterfalls. Right, okay. Um, and so that's their biggest hit. They still get, you know, checks for that that track. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, there it was a fun 
trip down memory lane for me because in the 90s i mean hip-hop was something that was huge it was one of those times where like a lot of the good rap was either coming out of the south uh, of the united states and atlanta and you had new york as well with the wu-tang clan and mob deep but you had these big guys you know you'll have stretch and bobito that was in new york that were responsible for wu-tang clan busta rhymes uh big punisher fat joe all those guys and you'll have down in the south where you're going to have organized noise that were responsible for Outkast, uh, Goody Mob, uh, anybody that was in the Dungeon family. So if you guys are into anything that's related to hip-hop, as I was when I was growing up, and I still like the old stuff. I can't stand the new stuff. I don't get it. That's <laughs> me getting old, sadly. But do yourselves a favor. Go ahead and watch uh, The Art of Organized Noise. It's on Netflix playing right now, and it's one of my honorable mentions. It was a documentary I had I had no idea that had come out in 2016. And when I sat down to watch it, I was like, holy shit, I had no idea they made a documentary about these guys. So it was a really fun trip down memory lane for me, so it's an honorable mention. Another honorable mention for me is uh, the documentary De Palma. Uh, yes. I love that, man. It's a long conversation with Brian De Palma. It's very, it's something you very seldom get. And I feel for the guy. I mean, he like he has based his entire career on Hitchcock, and he has got barely any of the acclaim that that director has. Perhaps it's because it's something we've seen before. But sure. if you do get a chance to watch De Palma's films, they're not catered to a mass audience. No, not the at way all. that Hitchcock was not catered to a mass audience when he first started. Uh, I. I think that the documentary does give you a little bit of insight as to who this individual is and I really had a great time because you'll have guys like Noah Baumbach who truly believe that De Palma is a filmmaker that should get more respect than he does but he's been under the radar quite a bit his mm-hmm. movies or his films I should say are experiments in filmmaking rather than proper films themselves and I appreciate that because De Palma as trashy as he can be He's a goddamn good entertainer, and <laughs> I love it. Definitely. So another unpopular one is Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Oh, Came man. at a point in time where I really needed that film to be exactly what it was, and we broke it down so well. Good you and call. I talking about it as <laughs> a Poor Man's Terminator 2, which Mike from War Machine vs. War Horse appreciated as well. And I, I want to say hi to him if he's listening to this episode. So those are my, my honorable mentions for this year. These are I'll call the two X-Men Apocalypse and Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Guilty Pleasures. Yeah. De Palma mm-hmm. to me is must see viewing because he does not get enough credit for the films that he's put out. I love Brian De Palma and 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 yeah, I'm going to revisit his films as a result uh, of seeing that documentary. Great, great. Oh, those are great choices. I, I this is what I'm excited about because I don't really know what your we don't know what our each other's top ten is, but I yeah, I right. really I really don't know what your top ten is. So like I, I'm really like even these picks are bizarre. These are these are wonderful. I'm loving it already. Uh, <laughs> my honorable mentions. <laughs> These were all in contention for the top 10 list at one point or another. So they all just, they, yeah, so they all kind of narrowly missed out. You make of that what you will. Uh, So first up, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Oh my God. Oh, nice. I forgot that. Early on in the year, I loved this film. Start to finish, ending included. I I, I think I loved it more because of its ending. It's the ballsiest thing I've seen in a long time. It's good, Uh, man. Uh, I just had so much fun. It's such a fun film. Creepy when it needs to be, tense when it needs to be, and ballsy fun when it wants to be. I loved it. I don't think it's high art or anything, but I think it's a damn good film. And it's good at what it does. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, Souptropolis. 
Uh, again, I absolutely loved this, especially early on in the year. As time's gone on, I've kind of... I've thought about how I might rewatch it. It's on my list, too. I forgot to mention it, but I'm going with you, okay? So it's both <laughs> yeah, on Yeah, well, there, there you go. Well, Mine's Zootopia's Zootropolis, yes. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it, was on my, it was on my list for a good while, but I've kind of been reconsidering it. While the message is wonderful, I think so much of the film is poppy fun to watch. Yeah. And the two things don't work together fully to make what would be a pretty um, rewatchable film generally uh, if it didn't have such a strong message. And that part of it means that I'm kind of relearning or re-educating myself over and that's boring to me a bit. So I, I feel it just narrowly misses out. It's, I still think it's a wonderful film and everybody should see it, but maybe just see it once and see it a second time years later or make your kids watch it. But I, I don't have the personal affection for it. I thought I might. Um, Spotlight uh, is another one. Oh, it came out last year for us. Oh, yeah, yeah it, came, it was it came out in 2016 over in, in the UK, and uh, I while I really like this film, I have my problems with it. I did think it would be better as a novelization or in the initial form that it was taking, and I don't think film added enough to it to really make it feel like it was it warranted at the time. But at the same time, I still appreciated the work. It's a strong message, well acted, well directed. I think they couldn't have done it any differently, and I, I think it's as best as it could have been film-wise. I just think a film, maybe for the story, isn't the right medium. Uh, so that's why I, I, I take points off in my head. I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. Right. Uh, even it's not really to be enjoyed, but I didn't I didn't rate it that high for that reason. Um, X Men Apocalypse, as you said, oh. you said you said everything that I, I other than um, the, the, the <laughs> Apocalypse and his glam metal warriors. Yeah, uh, like a, a metal album covers. Yeah, I, I <laughs> loved X Men Apocalypse. It is I, I I agree with you entirely. It's 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 not a perfect film. I'd say it's a guilty pleasure. But yeah, it's yeah, a guilty definitely. pleasure that the three critics on Big Picture Reviews who reviewed it all give it an A- minus or above. So, I mean, like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Across the board, infatuation with this supposedly terrible movie. It felt like X-Men. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. That's what I loved about it most. It was the fun of the real X-Men. And that's, yeah. that tone is hard to capture. Uh, Room is another film that came out in 2016, which came out in 2015, I think, where you are. Yeah. I don't it's it's perfect at the story it's making and there's not much more to say about it personally when it comes to personal preference it's not a story I'll ever revisit no that's a sad there's no rewatchability yeah exactly I think it is it is perfect I think everybody should see it but does it make the 10 that I want to I want to think about most in the year I don't think so it's not that it's not my kind of thing that calls to me it's just damn right about what it did and that's all it needs to be. And I appreciate it for that. And no more. Second last uh, Midnight Special didn't make the cut for me. I, I, I It's one of the films that I think me and Jason first met, really connected on uh, before we even started the show. Yeah. It's a film that I absolutely really uh, appreciate. I think it's a smart film. I think it's well made. It's just the right length. It does all the right things. Personally, I don't think it speaks to me and there's bits and pieces i would change in my head a little regarding right. the sort of side characters i would i would i there would be a little more bits that i would sort of pull together but all in all i absolutely i did really love this film and i would i, I really look forward to rewatching it it's just uh it didn't call to me in the same way it called to a lot of my peers and peers <laughs> right, right, right. And the last one, uh, Neon Demon, is is probably on your top 10 i'm sure and it is on a lot of a <laughs> lot of people's 
honorable mentions. I think I think it again, much like Room, it is very good at what it did. It is trash incarnate. It is this shallow perfection of a film. Uh, that and, and there's so much hidden underneath that shallowness, and how there's so much to say about the shallowness that it's actually I feel faulty because it's not actually shallow. All right. So before we get into our top tens, we're gonna leave you with a little bit of a trailer. Uh, for one of the movies, I don't know, X Men Apocalypse. I don't... X Men Apocalypse. Yeah, give them a snippet of that just to All just right. to warm so their souls. A, just for fun, here's the trailer for X Men X Men Apocalypse, a film that you guys should definitely revisit on a rainy day, just for that, a laugh yeah. and a good time. I agree totally. <laughs> Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Some call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they've built! will fall, and from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one. I've never felt power like this before. They took him. Raven, the world needs the X-Men. I'm not a hero. Students look up to you. If I'm going to teach your kids something, I'm going to teach them how to fight. Follow me. To her. I'm not afraid of him. Magneto, he's my father. What? Him and my mom, they did. No, I know. Not all of us can control our powers. Then don't. Apocalypse means to destroy this world. It's all of us against a god. And the most powerful beings on Earth. students anymore. I'll take everything from them. You're X-Men. Well, you've been busy. We had a little help. And we're back. And now we're going to be getting into our top 10 list of 2016. So, Lee, do you want to kick this off? My, so, my number 10 is Hell or High Water. Cool. Uh, a film I, I really appreciated. I had my faults with it in my own head. I, uh, I thought it was a little too pointed and a little, uh, a little shaky regarding the women in the film. And that kind of got to me a little. But pers- I, I can't fault that this film is a smart well-directed. Cinematography is fantastic. I love the characters. I love the setting. I've got this wonderful, vivid picture of this Texas setting in my head ever since I've seen it. This very macabre, quiet place uh, where everyone is kind of unhappy 
and uh, it's it's a mastery of of setting and tone that I I, I we just rarely see in film. Uh, so it's one of the films I, I walked away from super happy. It, it has one of my favorite performances, or like kind of a moment of a performance in Jeff Bridges when uh, something emotional happens to him in the course of the film. There's this heart wrenching howl that comes from him, yeah, uh, and that killed me i was oh my god i felt it right there in that moment hell or high water i wholeheartedly recommend and uh hope you check out so that's my number 10 over to you i have two two in my number 10 spot and that's that's the only time i'm gonna cheat all right so i'm gonna share this i'm gonna start with my the one that goes up like 10.5 and then i'll go to 10 so sure. uh, hunt for the wilder people is going to be on my top 10 uh the film stars sam neill and julian dennison to me what i really appreciated about hunt for the wilder people is it's a film about common experience and how how common experience is something that binds people together you know how yeah. marginalized people come together or intergenerational people can come together regardless Absolutely. of their origin and mm-hmm. I think it's just a beautiful, well-thought-out film that is charged with unforgettable charm. I love that picture. I got my kids to watch it, and they loved it, too. It yes. was a really, oh. really wonderful film. Incredible, so number yes. 10, uh, 10.5 would be Hunt for the Wilder People. And my number 10 also is shared with Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle! Oh, man, I didn't mention it at all. That was a great film. And so, yeah, it stars uh, Taron Edgerton and Hugh Jackman. And it's based on real events surrounding... Eddie Edwards, a tenacious, quote-unquote, athlete, um, (laughs) that to me is the definition of what fighting spirit is. He overcomes a bunch of people that bully him, that feign interest in him, that continuously tell him that he can't succeed in becoming an Olympic ski jumper. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, to me, it's the ultimate film that parents should show their kids. Absolutely. Uh, It serves as a lesson in perseverance, determination, most of all, and believing in oneself. I think kids will feel inspired by the film. And mm-hmm. I think it'll have parents reconsidering how they talk to their children as well. And so, yeah, to me, Eddie the Eagle is a brilliant, heartwarming comedy uh, that I can't recommend enough. I think is a fantastic picture. I absolutely agree on that. You know, it's very simple. I'm not yeah. going to pretend it was it was real great filmmaking, but it was no, no, a no. it was it was a super enjoyable experience. I think uh, my wife to be Maria, uh, she uh, she absolutely loved it. It would be like one or two for her in this year. So I mean, it was a great experience. I loved it. And Hugh Jackman in it. I think he's taken more risks in that film than he has ever done in his entire career. Oh, he's good, man. That Bo Derek scene. Oh my god, so it's fucking just, funny. Exactly. Oh my god. Yeah. So uh, I'll go on. My number nine is a film we've talked about on the show it is a rival edging out midnight special actually i kind of feel uh (laughs) when it came to like the sci-fi films that i loved of the year i'm gonna be honest i have like a fault with basically every film on this list (laughs) you know to an extent but um uh, a rival is one of those ones that is far more for like much like the rest of them it's it's so forgivable and it's fault for its naivety is actually flattering to the 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 intentions of the narrative you know i agree to that yeah yeah, I, I think it it's it's a smart it's well directed more importantly. It is just it takes its time to build its story and its themes damn well and I think the experience we go through it might not always feel the most cohesive but it definitely makes a big impression. And we've talked ad nauseum about it on on our on our episode a couple of episodes back. Yeah. Yeah, episode 14. Episode 14. There you go. Uh so that's my number 9. Uh, cool. Uh, my number nine is uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Oh uh, wow, that's so low. <laughs> uh, to me, I'm gonna get into not even the criticism of the film and what I like about it. I'm gonna talk about the people. Uh, I think that I think that uh, Rogue One is being unfairly criticized and maligned by uh, specific critics, and I think it's because the um, 
Star Wars fans are the worst fans on the planet. <laughs> I think there's a sense of entitlement that comes with Star Wars that most people think that what they think is what they should be doing. Yeah. And I remember walking into uh, The Force Awakens thinking exactly that. And then I was mm-hmm. like, that's not the way I'm supposed to be watching this. I think that people calling it fan service or others saying it doesn't work as a standalone film. <laughs> uh, and many more claiming that it didn't need, uh, we didn't need to know how this, how they stole the Death Star plans. What, what sense is an argument? We didn't need this. Of course we didn't. I don't we don't need it. any stories. None of, none of this. Like, I don't need you know, anything. You don't need one of the Star Wars films, let alone fucking Rogue One. But I mean, we have them. You appreciate them. Appreciate them for what they are. That's that's how exactly. it's always been. They've never been high art. They don't reflect on humanity or what's integral to the experience of living until you actually dig deeper than the surface stuff and find that for yourself. Yeah. Rogue One could just be that. If you want it to be, do it. Whatever. I think that, uh, I'll just mention briefly that I got into a row on Facebook with a moron over Rogue One and The Force <laughs> Awakens. And his arguments basically boiled down to exactly what Red, Red Letter Meter was saying. Mm. Without taking into consideration that what Red Letter Media do is also fan service. Yeah, well, that's they're true. They're known for shitting on Star Wars. <laughs> and they know that gets them a lot of clicks. And don't get me yeah. wrong. I love those guys. I love the dry humor those guys have. I am a huge fan. But I know when to take them with a grain of salt. Yeah. Now, Rogue One is definitely not a flawless film. I, I, I know that. I know You'd that. You'd be mad if you came here and said to me, Rogue One was going to be a flawless film on your list. It, no. I, I, I just, I decry you as a madman. <laughs> exactly. And I think that I, it would be deserved. But I do like the fact that it is a solid film that deals with trust. And if you listen to episode 18, and it goes into what I was talking about in terms of pro- reprogramming and changing your perspective on things. You know, how things just realign once you get the full picture. Yeah. And I feel that the movie itself speaks to something that sadly many Star Wars fans seem incapable of doing is having a different perspective on things it's true but you know what big big hugs to all the detractors out there i'm not changing my stance rogue one is excellent but that's it if you guys have trouble forming your own opinions about movies and you need people like honest trailers or red letter media and stuff like that to give you that fodder that craving of hatred that you need to get through your day i'm fine with that and i'm not going to judge you on it not at all i'm welcoming to the, the whole thing i had the same debate with the force awakens and you know what? I, I They're not perfect movies. I, I can agree to that. But they are solid entertainment. And to me, that's why Rogue One fits at nice and neatly at number nine. Yes, it's low on my list. I wanted to put it higher. But when I started thinking about the level of enjoyment I had with other films... I had to take it down a couple of pegs. That's perfectly fair. I mean, Rogue One's not on my list, but I fa- I definitely enjoyed it, and uh, I hope that 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 came across in the in the previous episode because I did want I, I wanted to be clear that uh you know I, I it, it is a good film worth seeing absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the Witch is my number eight. Uh, I want to see it. I know. I absolutely adored this film. It was a real late entry for me. I uh, I watched it in December. It's it's an incredible film. It's perfect with its atmosphere. I think it's got. There's so much to make of the simplicity that of the story, yet the subtext that's within it. You know. You could see this from a religious or aesthetic view, a familial, historical, contextual, societal. There's so many ways to read it. And the film allows you to form these these basis of, of arguments and, and see the pressures this family endures and, and, and read that in so many lights. And that, to me, fascinating. I, and the way that 
It doesn't overstay, overstay its welcome. It doesn't push unnecessary horror. Everything has a reason. To, to, to see a horror film crafted so particularly, mm -hmm. it's something I, I think we very seldom see. Uh, the fact that we can say that there's hints of Kubrick in this is incredible. I, I, even the fact that we see any of that in film today is wonderful. Uh, and I think it's, it's rightly deserved. This is uh, definitely a film everybody should see. Even if you think you're adverse to horror, it is nowhere near as scary as you're probably imagining it's going to be. The trailers definitely played it up a lot more than the film itself was okay. and the experience overall if you let it be a, a, a slow burn experience that's focused on its characters and its setting then it will probably be something to you you know you'll enjoy it to, to the right extent so that's my number eight yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it i want to see it i mean even brendan uh, from in session mentioned it on our master episode yeah we, we kind of had a little, little sojourn for a bit <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, I know that I talked about it with Leslie, uh, and then she's looking forward to me being scared like a fucker. So <laughs> interesting. Anyway, moving on. My number eight is uh, Refn's The Neon Demon. Great. Uh, Called no, it. I've, ri I've, written about, I've written about The Neon Demon, so feel free to check it out on Film Faculty. It's in mm -hmm. Film Grains. Um, to me, I, a lot of criticism that I've been reading, is, and even you, and there's something, this is a place where we disagree about the film. Is, is you think it's empty, and I actually think it's overly full of No, of I didn't say. I, I, I think that its main tone is that it's empty, but it is full. But that, to me, is a double standard that I don't think the film lives up to. Okay. That's well, my approach. To me, like I said, most of the time, and even I was talking on Twitter this week, I, I a lot of people, when they, when they complain about these things about plot holes or... You know, things that are left unexplained to me, I'm like, well, that's exactly where I start to fit in because that yeah. becomes interpretation and that's where yeah. I love to live. <laughs> and so the Neon Demon the Neon Demon is one of those films that you you're like, oh, you know that 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 triangle imagery that there is throughout the film, you know, I see it as a prism and I talk about it in my review, where you shine a light through a prism and you're gonna get a bunch of colors coming in out on the other side. And I feel that if you look at the neon demon that way, there is a and uh, uh, so much interpretation, such a rich Absolutely. place to pick apart that if you give yourself the time to watch the Neon Demon for what it is, you're going to get a lot out of it. You know, it left me feeling uncomfortable during certain sequences, okay? But it is truly what filmmaking is supposed to be about. Testing. We were talking about testing things, Brian De Palma style. Refn throws everything at the screen and hopes it sticks this time. And he is a self-indulgent fucker in this movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I love that. I love that aspect to it. I love yeah. that he's such a part in the film itself, yeah, even behind pulling him. the strings. Exactly. You feel him all over the film. A lot of filmmakers want to divorce themselves from it. But, I mean, Kubrick, if that's one thing that he couldn't do, pull off. <laughs> You yeah, can, you, you can could not take the Kubrick him. out of Kubrick. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I, with, with the Neon Demon, you cannot take the Refn out of Refn. And I think that this one speaks volumes to it. Uh, do I like it as much as a movie like Drive or something like that? No, Drive speaks a little bit more to my sensibilities. But the Neon Demon definitely, to me, is is the opposite of Drive in the set. Well, actually, no, I would call it a parallel. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a male perspective in Drive and a female perspective in the Neon Demon. I think that there's sister pictures that are meant to be viewed that way. And it completes the prism uh, with uh, Only God Forgives with God at the, at the center of that film. So, like I said, to me, the Neon Demon it fits nice and neatly at number eight. It's a movie that I, I love. It's a movie that is fucking weird. It's bizarre. But <laughs> Jesus. It tickles you in places you don't want, but you kind of get used to as the movie goes along. So I'll recommend it, but I'll recommend to the people that are not 
faint of heart, go ahead and yeah, watch that yeah. one. Uh, that's, that's, I totally second that. So my number seven is actually your number ten, and it's Hunt for the Wilder People. I love this film. You were entirely right about the, the shared experience yeah. aspect of the film is, is a wonderful way to view the film. To me, it's also about finding a way to express yourself to communicate with others and your own sensibilities, your own desires in the world, how to perfectly, you know, be yourself and 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 find the happy medium that it doesn't push other people the wrong way. It's a gorgeous film. It's a fun film. It is a hilarious film. You, as you said, it charming as hell. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, the, the core of it is sweet and solid. There's so much to it. Yes, it's a little long, uh, but uh, other than that. I you know I I it, it's right up there with the chirpiest films of the year that I I I couldn't possibly I, people are saying oh yeah it's a bit cliche at times I don't give a shit man I love this wholeheartedly and recommend it to everyone genuinely everyone all right so let's see now my number seven is the Coen's Hail Caesar I got down I love this picture. I, I think this is the Coens, uh, like I said, firing on all cylinders. I I laughed my ass off during the entire movie. I think it's the most Cohen Cohen movie that there is that they're going to out-Cohen themselves sometime. I'm going to love it. And I think that Hail Caesar, uh, it, like I said, it's not necessarily a tribute to Hollywood, although it is a little bit, but I think it's a tribute to filmmaking itself. You know, it, there's so many layers that are going on. And, you know, you have the Coens making a picture about making movies that are, that movies are actually being made in it. You know, it's just so strange. You know, the fixer yeah. himself and Josh Brolin's character, it's beautiful. The Eddie Mannix character happened in real life. He was a fixer as well. The Alden Ehrenreich um, with, with Ralph Fiennes sequence, you know, were that it was or what I get keep uh, fucking that right. up but that's one of the most funniest fucking sequences I've seen this year the Coens direct the actors to be caricatures of people and not actual people they're living sure. in a comic strip in this film yeah, essentially I and that. I love Definitely. that I love the the theatricality and filmmaking prowess that goes into conceptualizing a Cohen film and Hail Caesar is the epitome of Cohen for me and so yeah. As much as, like I said, a lot of people are going to hate this picture because the Coens, like you said, they hate you, they hate us, they hate everything. <laughs> that's and what I, I was thinking. Like you said, it's the most Cohen Cohen film of all time. It really is, and that's with all the negatives that I don't like about the Coens yeah. is how Cohen, how darkly cynical they are about their fellow man. It doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. But, but I totally get what you're coming from. I like you, you're, what you're saying about caricatures and that that setting, that theatricality of it. It is what they do well, and it does. It is. It makes for a fun film, even if uh, you know that might. To me, that's all it is. But to you, celebration. It's like a big party for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is because, like I said, you're talking about their cynicism and the fact that they don't like people. And I fit in somewhere there. I, I, yeah, I have trouble I interacting most of the time with, with with people because I'm like, what? You know, what's going on? I, I don't. I, I subscribe to everything that these guys feel because I've feel that there's a big part of truth the duplicity or duplicitousness i should say that people have in society today the cohen's know how to tap into it it's like there's a bullet wound and they know if i stick my finger in there it's going to hurt a little bit ah what the fuck and they do it and i love it i love it for that because yes they are dour bastards yes they are people <laughs> that are highly cynical but they speak to me in that way because i yeah. need my dose of cynicism and the only people that know how to do it right are the coens great that, that's that's perfect well argued at least <laughs> <laughs> i don't agree but well argued okay my number six is uh captain fantastic now this is a film that i, I you know i i really back and forth on this one because i it's not that i thought it was 
it was actually a game of how high should it be, you know? Right. Um, because it's something that I, I just, after watching, I got so caught up in the emotional sentimentality of it all that I just wanted to put it at number one everything, you know? I was just like, this is the one of the greatest films that I, I just love. It's 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 twee cuteness uh, and stuff like that. And I, I, I sobered up a bit. I didn't award it everything before I posted my initial review. I held back a little. I took some time to think about it. And I do think it does have its faults. Um, but at the same time, I just... I don't care if it's impractical the way this family lives. This uh, this family about who, who take themselves away from society. Uh, and, you know, live an alternate lifestyle that focuses on education. I feel it's well explored and rationalized in the film. I feel that these characters, they make sense in the narrative that it's trying to say. And is it maybe a little pointed at times? It doesn't matter. At the heart of it, we've got a, one of the best performances of the year from Figo Mortensen, who plays this very sober father figure who just wants to make a difference and is sick of the shit that we put up with in our day-to-day lives. And the kids that he's raised in that anti-establishment world are, are incredible. Of course, fictional but and, and idealized, but that's what film can do. That's, that's the kind of stories we can tell. Right. Um, I think this is a very emotional film. I think that the relationship, the connection explored between the father uh, and and his wife is is beautiful. And, and the, the, the way the, the narrative focuses and centers that to, to, to bring all the other aspects in is, I think just masterfully done i i really do recommend everybody go see this it is figu for me that's he was the performance of the year the story wow. itself is it, it was incredible i love the risks that it took even within itself it's just a wonderful story i absolutely loved it cool i'm looking forward to it i haven't had a chance to to watch it yet but it is on my 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 list of of things that i have to watch <laughs> yeah my number six is Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. Great. That's where my number <laughs> six is. And if you guys have listened to episode 14, you know exactly where I stand. I think that this is a filmmaking masterpiece. Yeah, it, it, it is a movie that, that is a little bit naive, uh, like you pointed out in, on uh, on uh, what you just said earlier when you were you listing it. Uh, even like Louise's motivations sometimes can be a little bit muddled where you're like, oh, how did you come to that conclusion? You know, but nevertheless, yeah. I think that um, as a commentary on where we are as a society, and how we need to change our perspective on things, you know, alter our perception of things. I really think that Villeneuve's uh, themes are, are very, very rich and are going to beg reinterpretation on rewatch depending on where we are in society at that moment in time. I'm positive Absolutely. that if we watch this movie in 10 years time, people will get a very different reading out of it. And that's the sign to me of a very, very, very strong film. Great. Absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> Uh, my number five is Nocturnal Animals. Uh, this is the one that I, I recommended you see. You probably you haven't seen it, I imagine. No, but I think it just popped up on iTunes. Uh, I'll probably yeah, check it out. Soon. Great. Uh, it is right up your alley, as I said before. I'll <laughs> say it again. It is a film that you will. You might not put it in your top ten, but I feel that you'll you'll get exactly what I'm trying to get at here with regards right. to it. I don't think this is a film that cries out to me personally somewhat, you know, I don't think this has anything to do with me, which is weird that the others all do in this list, but this film I feel, I appreciate the craft of it so much uh, and I feel it's so perfect in the way that it tackles, you know capturing this negative, reckless tone this, uh, this pet, the pettiness is the operative word and how it expresses that for the multiple characters and their relationships with each other and the meta-narrative that reflects on itself and the writer and even the real writer of the film Tom Ford right. and how this all feeds into itself I love the layers 
that this story encourages you to read into. Uh, it's not for everyone at all. Uh, it's almost certainly mostly for no one. It's not even for me. <laughs> uh, but it, but it is a film that I just can't deny the, the sheer craft in it. It just wowed me. And I, I really look forward to delving into it at some point. Okay, my number five. My number five is a five-part documentary totaling a 7.5 hours named OJ Made in America. Uh, OJ Made in America is probably one of the most fantastic documentaries I've ever watched. Because it's one of the first documentaries that I've watched that deals with justice. But justice in its many, many facets. We right. look at justice as something that's supposed to be an absolute. When we say the word, we're like, it just means that's the way things are supposed to be. But strangely enough, justice means something different to everyone. It's, oh boy. I have trouble putting it into words because, like, I, listen, I'm going to be re-watching it again. That's how much I enjoyed this. Wow. But I enjoyed it in a way that it's it's an informative and it needs to be picked apart. Because the story sets up O.J. Simpson as a, as a, a cultural hero. A person that's not necessarily uh, ready to break barriers. But to himself as a person is ready and saying that he was, doesn't want to be defined by the color of his skin, but who he is. Something that hmm. anyone can get on board with. However, he's doing it at a point in time where where the black culture needs its heroes. And he's kind of shunning that a little bit. Yeah, Where you'll absolutely. have guys like Muhammad Ali that is going to embrace his blackness. And you'll have uh, the, the, the Olympians that actually raise their fists for the Black, uh, black Panther movement and stuff like that. These, it was a time during civil rights that they needed to have these black leaders. And O.J. Simpson did not stand up. So is he being chastised for it? Not at first. But as the documentary progresses, the black community starts feeling the need to have their justice spoken for. Now, once they bring in the Rodney King uh, beating in, it, it, it takes a whole different shape. Sure. Because when the officers were acquitted for having beaten Rodney King in the most atrocious way I've ever seen, uh, I proceeded to the LA riot. Sorry if I'm going to get emotional because this is not, uh, it's not something terribly fun to talk about. It feels like the black community was betrayed in a way that, that is just mind boggling and it's unfair. And then when they see OJ get acquitted for it, they feel that that was justice, you know, acquitted for the murders of Nicole Simpson and, and um, Goldman. They see it as justice for Rodney King. And that's a sad, perspective to have but mm. ultimately understandable yeah yeah i mean it's it's basically what all they can cling to at that point you know they need something exactly their worst you know that, that makes perfect sense and the the interviews that come out of it you know the interview some of the jury members that acquitted oj and and it does come out at one point where they're like the, the interviewer asks him do you feel that this is justice for rodney king this payback for rodney king hmm. and she flat out says yeah and he says but is that what justice is and she says it doesn't matter and you're wow. like well fuck you know and so it gives you a real interesting perspective on how that that 30 year period in, in oj simpson's career it was given you know this rise and fall story is such is one that that to me also kind of looks at how the american society has slowly been winding down as a, as a society we can look to as that shining yeah. beacon upon a hill that it was supposed to be. And this is not me shitting on Americans, but it is a very interesting portrait of how one person can embody an entire culture and how that, that, that his, his, his career shapes in many forms, those, those very incremental moments in that yeah. society. 
So OJ Made in America is my number five. I wish that I could rate it higher. I have other things because if I put this at number one, it, it really is a heavy way to end the year. But I have to recommend it because this is one that I feel is necessary viewing. And it's monumental. It's a monumental testament to documentary filmmaking. Yeah, great. Perfect. I mean, exactly. We have to, we have to make a point at, at some point. No matter what, to say what is our preference and what is important, yeah. you know. And that's kind of where I'm going to go, funnily enough, with number four, because it's 13th. So we'll do this at the same time then, because number four is also 13th for me. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I actually, after hearing you say that, I thought you were going to say that OJ was the more important film for some reason. I, I, don't, oh. I, I don't know if you can really compare them even in that sense. They're two different aspects of documentary yes uh they 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 mean different things to different sides of how we look at society especially american society which is basically all society as far as anyone's really concerned yes. when it comes to you know what we have been raised to look to yes. uh, as you just said i think you're entirely right on that 13th to me is the most important film i've seen this year yes. i mean there could be others but to me i can't imagine film more important than 13th made right now for everyone and everyone needs to see it it not only cuts right to the heart of the racial issue it cuts to the issue in every single government and society right this very second uh it's incredible uh and it, it, it does it in such a short time yes it, it so masterfully weaves its way through so many topics gets you riled up and it doesn't give you the answers that to me i feel like oh yeah that could be a slight it doesn't it's not supposed to though it is a film that's supposed to make it clear how important this issue is right now to, to start brainstorming answers and solutions to how we ended up at this place where we can look at our fellow man and treat them differently in any respect as we, as badly as the black community has gotten in America. And I, it's not just there. It's exactly the same here. It's exactly the same almost everywhere. Somewhere there is a minority getting shit upon and they're being scapegoated and 13th shows exactly where and how it happened to that side of the community so that you can look at it for all communities but very specifically for the black community this needs to change and we need everything unbuckled oh, yeah. so important to watch this film yes it's an indictment of the penal system in the united states Flat yeah of the incarceration system in the united states and, and it's sad because like i said to me the, the effect it had on me when i was talking about it when we were talking about it on the show at one point is that I, it made me feel stupid for not knowing that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I totally agree. I caught up on it after you had said that, and I wholeheartedly agreed. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll echo everything that you're saying. I don't want to really go on on another tangent. I think that you put it extremely well. I can't say any more than what you've said, except for the fact that it is necessary viewing. This is a movie I'll probably try to show in one of my classes this semester. Yeah, Because exactly. it is important. This is a documentary that needs to be seen by everyone. If you guys think you understand what the black community has gone through you're wrong you're completely wrong and you need to see this this is something that is going to change your perspective and open your eyes just a little wider into understanding just how pampered a life most of the people around the globe have had compared to these individuals that are supposedly living in the land of the free they're not yeah. and it's a very very sad testament to that i'll leave it at that i don't want to get too 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 intense <laughs> we've gotten as heavy i think as we're probably going to get because yeah. I'm, I'm going to switch gears entirely with my number for three choice and right up to the top uh so <laughs> my number three is moana right so maybe hard to justify because the film isn't perfect but for me this is the only film i have seen twice this year wow that's how 
infatuated I was with this story. It's it's not nearly as simple as people are making it out to be. This is actually a well-crafted use of simplicity to tell an important story and message that actually doesn't deter from the story like Sutropolis does. It doesn't pull you away from its main narrative. It informs the main narrative, but also lets you come back and think about the story in, a, in as many contexts as you want. But for me, this is a film about taking what we've learned from our own past, our history as human beings, and knowing that if we are to make progress, we can't simply lay idle. We can't allow for just plain conservatism to rule our lives. We have to be a progressive people if we are ever to fix the problems of this world. And the setup of this film is that this girl lives on an island. She is made to be the next line, the next person to lead her people. And her father is saying she has to do it all from home. While the world decays and rots and the island slowly deteriorates, she's being told she has to fix it with the rules that have been laid in place for from her ancestors. But by looking at perspectives on this, what is essentially a, a proper hero's adventure, we meet these characters who inform that conservative nature and, and inform her decision to be progressive. And we meet, you know, her own ancestors who at one point were progressive. And I think that's very human and something we all forget is that we got to where we are and got how comfortable we've gotten in our lives by people toiling for it, you know? Right. And that's an incredible message. And to have a film that is also as fun and is upbeat and uh, and is genuinely uh, hopeful and sincere as Moana to take that message on board as well. I, I think it's just surprisingly well put together. I do think, yes, narratively, it, it kind of gets a little uh, abstract on the final third. There's a couple of cliches, I would say. I mean, there's a fallout-ish kind of moment between the main two characters that I think, ugh, yeah, we didn't need that. Uh, and the, the resolve is going to lose people entirely, I think, because it plays more to the thematic payoff than it does to the character payoff okay. so that's that's something that i think is a little lacking it should have been a little more both but to me this is a film that i just fell in love with i uh, couldn't wait to go see it again just to see if i was right about it the first time you know and i, I feel i absolutely was uh and i had a great time again i loved it. I, and you can't say anything about Mano without saying that the soundtrack is wonderful as well uh it just toys at the heartstrings gets in your head but it also it it really does inform the narrative in a smart way too i i don't want to go on all day about it but the, the songs are chosen for a reason put it that way i think this is a very smart film a perfect reformulization if that that's not a word but that's what i'm going to use of of the of the work of the directors who have done aladdin and hercules before and the little mermaid they have condensed their work into something that's far more narratively fulfilling than the previous works. Is it better than them? You can debate. I don't think necessarily in all counts, but to me, this was a film that I just fell head over heels for and totally and utterly recommend that everybody, if you've seen it, take a second look. And if you haven't seen it, absolutely give it a shot and keep what I've said in mind when you're listening or watching it. Cool. Well, no, I'm looking forward to it. Then I'll, I'll definitely go through that. My, uh, my number three is uh, Sing Street. Sing Street! I will th I will then join you, as you have done me, for it is my number two. Uh, so oh, we cool. Can, we okay. can talk about Sing Street. All right, cool. Excellent. So Sing Street, listen, I, I have never... Uh, this is the most optimistic film that came out this year. Absolutely. Uh, it had no right in being as good as it was. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. It was just a coming-of-age story. <laughs> it's a coming-of-age story, but it, it's just about, again, if I go back to Eddie the Eagle and Hunt for the Wilderness, it, it's about just going with your gut feeling and and just living living yeah. that moment and trying to, uh, to to believe in yourself no matter what yeah exactly. i showed my kids sing street 
they loved it. The soundtrack is is fantastic. Fantastic. You know, drive it like you stole it. I have no idea why the fuck that song hasn't been nominated for an Oscar. It, it, it baffles is weird me. To me yeah. That they, just because that Adam Levine is singing the other one, fuck that. Pick the right song, people. Yeah, I know. I don't get it. But yeah, Sing Street, you know... Uh, people don't deserve Sing Street is what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> listen, this is about a guy who wants to get the girl. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And But the way that it's told, the way that we dissected it on our episode of Sing Street, that we got more feedback from recently from a guy called Dan Hart who enjoyed our episode on Sing Street. I, I, I Listen, I, I don't have much to say other than the fact that this is a beautiful film. Yeah. And it came out during a a year that was peppered with all these superheroes fighting the shit out of each other, violence and weirdness and all that. And then you have this this very optimistic film coming like, you know what? Things aren't that bad. Yes, we've got bullies in our lives. But at the same time, if you sing a song about it, you'll be able to have that cathartic moment and rid yourself of that pain. Yeah. You know, we can get through it with song. And I mean... It bands a bunch of people together, and I, I thought it was great. I don't know. I don't have much to say about it other than watch this fucking movie. 100% agree. You've said all the right things. It is one of the most sincere films I've ever watched. And, oh, beautiful way to play and, it. And uh, that is entirely to its strength. It, it, it plays it so straight, but it, it knows entirely what makes teenagers work. You know, what makes that mindset, that young mindset at that time, the formulation of who you are, your identity at that point in your life. It's so well aware of of the pieces that make up you as you're in that place. And it tells it for the most simple story, as you said, boy meets girl. It is absolutely wonderful. It is catchy, fun, uplifting time relentlessly cheery and much like its lessons on life are just great they're basically there are no right answers and that's entirely true you can't just take what people say you you gotta kind of carve your own path a little and that's the the ending note of the film it's ah it's wonderful incredible film if you haven't seen it you have to and it has one of my my favorite performances of the year yes jack 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 rayner brendan the brother the 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 the, Uh, yeah the the sage the mage guy or whatever you want to talk the Gandalf I was talking about uh, uh, I was going to say Jeff Daniels Jeff Bridges uh, and like his howl from earlier and how that to me that was almost like best supporting of, of the year but oh, yeah, Jack Rayner yeah. is best supporting I've never seen a character so in touch with the narrative in touch with the intention uh, such a yeah. performance so vividly bring that person to life uh he felt yeah. really felt like someone i've known all my life or in parts myself I, it, it, incredible how they managed to create that person he is literally atlas in that movie yeah mm-hmm. in my opinion he is the guy who is supporting this entire family blocking the parents out in their jadedness towards their own relationship but also trying to help connor you know yeah exactly come 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 to terms with who he is as an individual and push him in a direction where he can actually become a better uh, we person. even see a little Brendan of his brilliant. own his own deterioration in trying to do that i mean he has his yeah. own perfect arc in it as well i mean brendan the brother jack rayner i know you're not listening to this but listen man fantastic <laughs> and john carney kudos to you for yeah. writing such a rich character my number two is midnight special yeah <laughs> midnight special is my number two film of the year it was my number one for a long time long time um listen to me this is what 
movies are made of the the just how rich this film is in terms of of the the themes the ideological separation between church and state that you'll find in the trooper uh joel edgerton and then you'll have michael shannon playing the the, the recently divorced churchgoer if i say not divorced in terms of uh, his marriage but in terms of no longer believing in in the the cult in which he was part of all to save this one young boy who has these special powers, so to speak. And to me, the the special should have been in bold fucking letters. Yeah, in that yeah. Title. It goes back to Starman and has a little bit of E.T. and it. it has a little bit of Super 8 in it. You know, there's a Spielberg, Abrams, Carpenter feel to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to a time when I was a kid. And I mean, I can you can watch this movie from so many different perspectives. You can watch it as the state trooper. You can watch it as the father, as JD from Incessions does. Or you can watch it as the kid, as I did, as Alton Mayer. Uh, you can also watch it from the mother's perspective, from Sarah's perspective, as, as a woman who who's basically been torn away from her child and, and thrown out of a cult because of the fact that she was trying to protect him. You know, like, you know, you're looking out for your kid's best interests, you know. Yeah. But I also think that it speaks volumes to uh, all the outsiders in the world, you know, all these people that that are somewhat marginalized, which harken back to a little bit of what we were talking about in the hunt for the wilder people. But Midnight Special to me is 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 a perfect film. A lot of people have criticized the third act. And yeah, I guess you guys can take away like, oh, they should have not shown us all that they've shown us. And I was like, you know what? Go watch something else. I love the fact that Jeff Nichols went out on, uh, like, took that risk to show us the world in which Alton was going. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily showing us a sci-fi world. No. It's showing us opportunity. And that's exactly what it is. He just put a visual context to what opportunity was. And that's what all parents want for their children is an opportunity. And so if you choose to view Midnight Special through a child, the, the innocence that that child has, that special unique power that... All of you parents out there think that your child has. Well, that's it. Giving him the opportunity, letting him go sometimes is the best thing to do to protect him. And I think that Midnight Special speaks very, very much to that core. But as for me, as, as I was watching it as a child, because I really thought that uh, Jaden Liebeshare's performance was absolutely stunning. Incredible. Especially for the yeah, absolutely. age that he was. Yeah. That's a standout performance for me this year in 2016. And so seeing it as that, I could associate to him a little bit as I was talking about with Incessional. Growing up in Quebec as an Anglophone is a very difficult experience. Trying to find your way in that society is something that's very, very hard to do. And so Alton speaks volumes to me as an individual, as a young kid, because I still see myself a little bit as that kid who was marginalized. But I have found my place, and it's kind of interesting to see it materialize in a fictional character so well-developed. Midnight Special is my number two because it is indeed special and necessary viewing for everyone. You summed it up perfectly. I couldn't agree more. So that's great. So we're finally at the number ones. My God. Number one. Number one is, for me, a film uh, I've been hemming and hand with Sing Street all year long. But I, I stuck to my guns on this. Um, it's a film that came out in 2015 where you are, I think. 2015 for most Americans, but 2016, one day release here in the middle of summer, and it was when Marnie was there, the Studio Ghibli animated feature. 
I love this film. It ticked all the boxes for me. It explores depression at a young age so vividly. Uh, it expresses it so perfectly in a way that I don't feel live action ever could. Right. And with itself, not only are the characters so real, uh, realistically explored, uh, we see Anna, the, the main character, so perfectly encapsulated, but it also takes risks in itself. The fact that the story is non-linear in a sense and dreamlike and a lot of its feel actually perfectly reflects the depression tone that it's actually striving to go for so the you know the narrative is presented within a tone that reflects the narrative itself in so many ways is this perfectly encapsulated the imagery that empty lake that fisherman who never says a word that house lone house the mystery of of Marnie, who she is, is the ending maybe possibly, uh, you know, a little easy to see by the time you get near it, the final reveal of Marnie's past? Perhaps. I didn't think so at all. I didn't, dev- I didn't depreciate or devalue the final reveal of that character for me. I thought this was not more than just gorgeous. The visuals are painstaking in making sure that they reflect the experience of childhood depression. And this is necessary viewing for anyone regardless of you've been through an experience like that or not children need to see this adults need to see it everybody needs to be prepared for this very real thing that happens to kids and adults and anyone and i think through anna and through her journey and how she finds peace with with uh her own condition i feel that that's never been more perfectly explored uh and i you know it's a it tops to me it tops the film from last year that also deals with the exact same thing and also in animation which was inside out it was one of my favorite film it was my favorite film from last year this takes that same narrative and pushes it it focuses less on just creativity and instead focuses on the experience itself and right. entirely expresses it painstaking amount of detail. I absolutely adored it and I hemmed and had between it and Sing Street because both of them held such a fond place in my heart and they're both very emotional, sincere experiences. But I, you know, I only really wanted to not put when Marnie was there at number one because I felt like for Americans, it didn't, it was cheating. For the list you know it couldn't be 2016 but ah, fuck that it only got a release here in 2016 it is my film of 2016 that's fair that's fair yeah and that's my number one of the year that's fantastic i have yet to see it mm. i am not a fan of animation to begin with yes i have trouble getting into it even when it's it's more serious uh you know themes are present but i will give this one because it comes from you i'll give it a watch that's for uh, for sure so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, will I get to it this weekend? No, no. But I will definitely get to it very soon. And it's a very interesting choice. I had no idea that that was <laughs> good. One. That's very cool because you know exactly what my number one. I is. do. <laughs> And so my number one of the year is, is Hell or High Water. Yes. You said that you had trouble with it, and that's okay, I guess. <laughs> to me, this is a near-perfect film. Great. The theme of debt that's in the movie has a little bit to do with money but it has a lot more to do with personal debt yeah the, the debt that people have towards each other towards society towards their culture it, it's just so rich in exploring that and what you know it's again another another story about family 
you know, uh, we were talking about it in Midnight Special. You can look at this movie. You can watch this movie from different perspectives. You can watch it from uh, Ben Foster's perspective as the brother. You can look at watch it from Chris Pine's uh, perspective as a family man. You can watch it from um, Jeff Bridges' perspective as as a, a slowly heading towards retirement cop who's still trying to have his his one yeah. last glory day, which kind of harkens back a little bit to Morgan Freeman in Seven. You know, yeah, that one last assignment and i mean even gil as his partner yeah again incredible what a wonderful performance from that guy that's going to be completely under it's played understated which means it's going to be under the radar and most people won't pick up on it but the concern that he has on his face is is wonderful even then that that hotel room when he's talking about oh you're just an engine and a mexican and all that you know he's taking this barrage of racial slurs but these two are the epitome of what those cultures have been to one another for generations, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's, it speaks volumes to how these people have learned to interact with each other, living with that friction, so to speak, yeah, and being able to accept it. Well, I mean, you know, that's how they think, and then that's how you think. Yeah. It's a bit weird because it's a very, I'll call it, a, it's a masochistic relationship. Definitely. And it also speaks to the one that people have had with the land. You know, when that speech, when they when he talks about outside the diner, once they meet that rattlesnake waitress, he, so he calls this beautiful scene. I think that when they're pointing to the banks, the banks represent more than banks to me. They represent essentially where everyone has converged to in terms of this represents what debt is in general. Mm-hmm. It's now a building, but it's no one. Right. So essentially it's being being you're creating your own debt every single day you live. You owe something to someone. If and if it's not to yourself, it'll be to someone you know. Right. You're always in debt. Definitely. And I think that Hell or High Water is a beautiful encapsulation made by a British guy about the American landscape as it is now. (laughs) You know, it's a movie that is a neo-Western. It talks about the themes now. It delves into what masculinity could be, but is not. It's a very strange film. You were talking about how it treats the women. I think that the women in the movie are portrayed in a very subdued manner where they are in control. And the reason why the men are doing what they're doing is because they owe that to them Mm. from everything they've taken from women, from the natives, from the land. You'll have these men that are completely in debt to everything they do, even towards each other. And so I feel like just how that theme works itself around, wraps itself around the the entire narrative is a beautiful testament to how films are supposed to be made. It's a very rich one. It doesn't tackle too many things. It tackles one, but it looks at it from very different angles. Right. And it says, it asks you, please. Try to try try to juggle this. Not to mention the cinematography that's in there. Mm-hmm. The movie is so well crafted. It takes its time to set the pieces up very very well. So anyway, David McKenzie and then Nugans, the the cinematographer. Wow, what a beautiful film! And it took a lot for that movie to dislodge Midnight. Special. Oh yeah, definitely. Me, personally, but Hell or High Water. I watched it the first time. I was I I I, I was talking about this just the other day. I was going to put it on for 15 minutes because it was on sale on iTunes. And I was like, oh, watch the first 15 minutes because In Session had spoken about it quite a bit. And it's on a lot of top 10 lists, if I'm not mistaken. And I was I was hooked. I couldn't stop it after 15 minutes. I ended up sitting through the entire thing. When Leslie came home from work, I told her, I said, I just watched a magnificent film. And I, th- I think you might like it. And so she was knitting at one point And I, I figured, you know what? 
I'll just put it on again because I feel like yeah, being yeah. part of that world again. And she stopped knitting. She ended up watching the movie with me. And she, at the end of the movie, she was like, this is this is a fantastic picture. She felt emotional. She felt invested in this type of picture yeah, as well. Wow. And so I cannot speak higher or give more claim to a film like Hell or High Water, another film that's been underplayed, in my opinion. Please do yourselves a favor. If you're looking for a quality picture and you have one to pick this year, pick Hell or High Water. It deserves all the praise. I think Jeff Bridges deserves his nomination for whatever he gets. But I do feel that Ben Foster is the standout star in this picture. Mm. And most of the time, they call him the wild card. In this movie, he takes it down a peg. And he shows you just how talented he is. Ben Foster is brilliant in this picture. It's fun to see Chris Pine wander away from being this standout. Such a subdued performance. Exactly. But it just shows that Pine isn't necessarily meant to be a leading man. No. He wants to act. Mm -hmm. And I thought that in Hell or High Water, he was used so well. Just that little scruff. Just gave him that dirtiness, just a little bit, the sweat and all that. And you're, you're attracted to him immediately as as an actor. Yeah. You're like, okay, I can see him. Everything is underplayed. Everything seems natural in this world. Definitely. So anyway, I really feel that this is I, my favorite film of the year. It's the best movie I've seen. I think you've, you've put it perfectly. And it does, and it's actually, it's making me think about the film in a lot more ways. And I already, I, I do realize I have more fondness for this than even what I've already stated. I, I, I can't, you really made me in the mood to watch it again, you know, and kind of reanalyze <laughs> it. That's, that's great. I don't think, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm really going to change my opinion, but there's definitely so much more to gain from yes. revisits here. And uh, that's a different sort of criticism to me, I think. But it's one that I really look forward to. And I think that's a perfect choice. You've made a, a wonderful case for why this is number one. And I can totally fudge for it and agree. Everybody definitely should see Hell or High Water. And the same thing for your number one. You made a wonderful case for it. I mean, you're talking about child depression, which is something that most studios would never touch. <laughs> Pixar did it rather well with yeah, Inside yeah. Out. Although it's a movie that I didn't have that much fondness for. I mm. do appreciate how pixar like i mean even psychologists now will use those characters in order to talk to children in 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 waiting rooms but they're using that like do you feel like the red guy the green guy or whatever you know how do you feel about the situation it really opened doors yeah and if a movie like your number one when marnie was there if it really uh, tries to capitalize on how childhood depression is and even awakens a lot of people and turns them on to understanding what it is to be Mm. a child in a world like today using animation as well as to drag kids in to say listen this is something we're doing for you i think it's a very very bold and very brave move on their part definitely absolutely so yeah so yeah so like your number one when marnie was there my number one hell or high water so let's just break it down very quickly once again starting with the number 10 spot so again that's number 10 it's hell or high water for me Number nine, Arrival. Number eight, The Witch. Number seven, Hunt for the Wilder People. Number six, Captain Fantastic. Number five, Nocturnal Animals. Number four, Thirteenth. Number three, Moana. Number two, Sing Street. And number one, When Marty Was There. Excellent. It's a, it's a wonderful list. Yeah, it's like so it. varied. It's, it's, it's been a great it's, year it's to me. I've, I've, what a great year to it start has this, been you know? a great year for film. You're absolutely right. My number 10, I had two. I had Hunt for the Wilder People. Eddie the Eagle. Number nine sits Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Number eight is The Neon Demon. Number seven, Hail Caesar, The Coen's Fantastic Picture. (laughs) Number six, Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. Number five, the monumental documentary that is OJ Made in America. Number four, Ava DuVernay's documentary masterpiece 13th. Number three, John Carney's Sing Street. 
Number two, Jeff Nichols' Midnight Special. And number one, David McKenzie's Hell or High Water. So, is there anything that you are anticipating this year, dear Lee, as we close off episode 19 of the Atlantic SC podcast? I, uh, as, as I've made a precedence before and will continue to, I don't anticipate. I, uh, I, I refuse to look forward to films because I feel that affects the criticism that we make of them when we do see them. So, I just, the only anticipation is that I hope that I get as near nearly as good a list as I have personally this year you know I feel that I was very connected to the 10 films I said I I could have made a 20 if I wanted to uh it's just that I wanted to really focus on what I loved this year and burned it down to 10 this year I I hope that I could get something just as varied just as vivid and sincere and wild and different in each option I want things that are important, uh, just like 13th. I want films that are great at what they do, like when Marnie was there in Sing Street. But I, I'm not going to premeditate where the, which films are going to be that for me. I just hope that I find them along the course of the year. And that's my that's my hope for the year. Yeah, same thing for me. I'm going to that. Sh- I my sh- my sentiment is exactly the same. I don't have any anticipation save for episode eight that's going to be coming out. Star yes. Wars episode eight uh, in December. I'm very much looking forward to that. I want to see how these characters <laughs> are going to develop. That's my only anticipation. Like I said, I'm pretty much in line with you. I'm gonna looking to pick up the breadcrumbs that's going to lead me to my top 10 list of next year. Absolutely. Or this year, I should say. Yes. So, any shout-outs before we close this one off there, sir? Uh, yeah, um, Al Robinson on Twitter. Uh, he was... Uh, yes, fantastic Al Robinson. Sent us a bunch of like, praise for our Paul Thomas Anderson episodes. It was so nice. And he really paid attention to the themes, and he asked us further questions about um, the master. He really wanted to delve into them. Uh, that, I, that's the kind of interaction I've always wanted from this show, you know? I wanted people to really ask us if we're as as smart as we think we are, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's all. To which we always answer yes. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I was super cool with him. I really appreciate that. And I'm also, oh, what do you call it? Big Picture Reviews got nominated for an award this this uh, year. Yeah. Fuck, we are well, we're the finalists in UK Blog of the Year, uh, which is fucking hilarious to me since I borderline protested the awards. <laughs> and it's for Atlantic Screen Connection. It's for we're down for the podcast, so I feel that well, I wouldn't be in the category if it weren't for the podcast. So that's us that we're doing that. That's, yeah, <laughs> pretty cool, yeah. But I mean, that, that's thanks to you though. I mean, because I had I'm, I'm in Canada. So I have, there's no bearing on. They nominate no, they nominated us automatically. We didn't even apply for it. Really? Yeah. Holy fuck, that's cool. Ridiculous, man. <laughs> that's All right, so yeah, Al Robinson. I'll, I'll I share that sentiment as well. He's been great to interact with on Twitter. I also want to say a big shout out to uh, Maddie Neggs, uh, Tim Costa, the guys from In Session. Thank you very much for having us on episode oh, 201. Yes. It was so much fun to have I people to talk about. I discuss. Mean, like they had to edit out most of my laughter because I laughed the entire way through it. Uh, oh, yeah? I had such a good time. Yeah, there's there's whole chunks of me just going bra 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 in the background as I usually do on our show, and. Uh, They've, they've, they've wisely taken half of that out to allow someone to talk, you know? <laughs> but I had a great time. And, and Yuche, I also I want to say a thank you to Yuche again. He's been great to interact with on, on, on Twitter. And he also uh, sent out a message to uh, In Session. Apparently, he liked the roundtable discussion, getting 
yes, a round table that. going on. Lovely. And that would be cool. So uh, to them, also, I want to say hi to, to Courtney Young, also uh, David Hart, Ashley Davis, Mark Putley as well. Thank you so much yes. for all the time that you guys have contributed to film faculty. That pretty much rounds out the show. Uh, my name is Jason Michael. and Find me at film underscore faculty on Twitter. You can also find uh, me on WordPress on film faculty. I am still working on a couple of things. I'm going to be getting back into the groove of it in order to be faithful to my New Year's resolutions. And so please, yeah, come give us a follow. Share us on, on SoundCloud. Uh, go there. Comment on the tracks. Go and subscribe on iTunes. Please leave us a comment. That would be wonderful as well. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for me. Lee? Yeah, you can find me on bigpicturereviews.co.uk along with my esteemed colleagues. And we're all this week and next. Probably by the time this airs, we should have everything, all the top 10 lists that everybody's contributing out. Yeah. And uh, you should see reviews like uh, I, I seen Silence. I did a review for that. I haven't talked about it on the show. Probably not going to get a chance to talk about it at any point. So just check out the review and see what you think. Uh, really excited about 2017. So it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be a big year for the website. It's gonna be a big year for our respective blogs and our intentions going forward for the for the podcast. So I mean, to stay tuned with that, you can get me on Twitter at Big Pick Reviews as well as Jason at Film Underscore Faculty. And uh, uh, we hit over, we hit over 1,000 uh, fucking what do you call it followers? That's that's right. That happened this week as well. Ridiculous. Right. Been yeah, a busy yeah. week, man. <laughs> Very busy week. Yeah. Good New Year. There's something that I needed to pitch to you before we close this out. I I was thinking of perhaps eventually maybe for the listeners out there if you guys feel like commenting on this i thought that like our recordings we usually do and then we edit the show i thought that perhaps once during our, our season two we could actually air this on uh, periscope where i'd have me on one side and you on the other oh that'd be hilarious that'd be so cool it would be you would see the live action the waiting in between our takes that you don't get when you get the full version of the show <laughs> exactly that's exactly what it would be but that's, be really that would cool. be fun yeah definitely right, cool. <laughs> so that's us that's enough for episode uh, 19 thanks again for making this uh, an enjoyable year so far we're looking forward to building on what you guys have given us so far and bringing it in 2017 again we have one episode left in season one it's going to be our last episode the retrospective on Paul Thomas Anderson inherent vice might be a short show i don't have much to say but it'll be interesting to see so that's it for us see you out there bye Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.